Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain. Each episode, we bring together leaders across the supply chain space to discuss the role of technology and business model innovation on the future of supply chain. The Future of Supply Chain podcast is presented by Dynamo. Dynamo is a pre-seed and seed stage supply chain investor. To learn more about Dynamo and this show, head over to www.dynamo.vc podcasts or subscribe on the platform of your choice. Now let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar, and joining me today is Rick Zulo, co-founder and general partner at Equal Ventures. Welcome, Rick. Thanks for having me. Excited for this. So this one's been a long time coming, and we're about to get into a lot of good stuff here. But before we do, I want you to give, ladies and gents here, quick 90 seconds on Equal Ventures and what y'all are up to over there. Yeah. So Equal Ventures was founded on the sole hypothesis that as technology becomes more mainstream, it's not going to be about backing the engineers who are isolated in the valley. And that's all that we're going to be able to do. I think for we can all agree that for the last like 20, 30 years of venture capital and startups, that's where a lot of the activity has happened. Really a big focus of ours is how can we, now that technology is more mainstream, put in the hands of users, like in the freight industry, like in supply chain, who know the industry, know cold, and can use the power of technology to transform those industries and doing that at the earliest stages. So started the fund back in 2018 and it's been a lot of fun since. Awesome. So digging into it here, this season, we're revisiting the venture-backed freight brokerage and forwarding business model. And we're going to focus on the former today, but give us a sense of the Rick Zulo story and the earliest exposures you had to the freight industry living in Chicago. When we first met, actually, you were, you're, you're in Chicago and you, I guess you've been back in New York for a few years now, three, four years. I know. It's amazing how much permanence, like living in a city like Chicago can have on you. So I lived in Chicago for like a little over two years, but still you'd be amazed at how many LPs, VCs, founders are yeah. like, oh, so Rick, how, how Chicago is, you know, right now. And like reality is I'm in Chicago next week. I was in Chicago last week. I'm on three boards in Chicago. I love Chicago dearly. It's a great place, but yeah, it's it's kind of funny in hindsight, given like you're New York City much, boy originally, though, right? I mean, I grew up in Northern Jersey. Like I've lived yeah. in New York for north of ten years. Like moving to Brooklyn, which is where I'm taking this wonderful, you know, you know, show from, feels a little bit different since I've been in Manhattan for like over a decade in the Upper West Side. But yeah, I mean, I when I went to Light Bank, the for the firm that brought me to Chicago. I didn't have a relationship with the freight industry. I didn't have any ties to Chicago. I went there because I had a chance to work with two incredible entrepreneurs, Eric and Brad, and be part of the ecosystem that they were building. And for those who don't know, Eric and Brad Kewell and Eric Lovkowski, they had started Groupon, a company called Media Ocean, a company called a company in the printing industry that they took public. But the one most relevant to us is Echo Global. So they were part of founding Echo Global together. And when I joined Lightbank, it was just in MITS. You know, we were starting a company in the industrial IoT space called Uptake, but Echo Global was then a, pump, a public company. Transfix and Convoy and all these folks were just starting to come to be. It's just completely coincidence that I actually went to high school with Drew McElroy, you know, CEO of Transfix and founder and yeah. CEO there, which is just, you know, you can't make this shit up. But you know, Echo Global was right down the hall from us. So 
all these things were happening. I came to, you know, you know, White Bank in, in, in Chicago, you know, on this thesis of investing across a lot of these legacy industries, or as TechCrunch likes to call them, antiquated. And, you know, reality, I had a front row seat of one of the biggest and most powerful freight brokerages in the world, you know, also one of the most forward thinking and having them right on my floor as I joined this venture firm, which was an exciting place to be, especially given that so much of the innovation in the freight ecosystem has happened in one of two places, either Chicago or, you know, where you guys are sitting down in Tennessee. Yeah. So that's a super kind of awesome environment to have access to as you're kind of developing your VC muscle and you're exploring different business models and opportunities. But back in 2015, so eight years ago, you wrote a blog post where you identify that successful newcomers around freight need to meaningfully leverage technology to outcompete the legacy incumbents. And I'd love for you to just reflecting on recent events related to Convoy, what's your current take now on technology inside of brokerages specifically? I think for us, like we found the new brokerage concept as like pretty challenged. Yeah. And that was one of the core insights that I think we pulled away from that piece that, you know, you can leverage as much technology as you want, but these brokerages are largely built on relationships. They're largely built on, you know, understanding the market. You succumb to a freight cycle. So like we've stayed out of, you know, for, you know, the eight years that this experiment has been running, we stayed out and were pretty bearish on like building a new age brokerage. And largely that was on the belief that this was not going to be a winner take all system, that this was going to always have something that carriers were going to multi-home, that shippers were going to multi-home. That this was going to be a brokerage marketplace, a broker market, not a marketplace market. I think technology can have massive leverage. And I think if you look at the vast majority of brokers, they've been lagged users of technology. I think we've seen the folks who have broken out, like Coyote, for example, you know, they've been able to leverage technology in very innovative ways that have enabled them to go and steal a lot of market share and become extremely fast growing companies. And if you look at the list of the top 100 freight brokers, there are some pretty high growth companies in that mix. You can build an amazing brokerage business, you know, not with without venture funding. But I do think a lot of the leaders, you know, are taking the best of both worlds. There are folks who are leveraging the fact that they have strong relationships with carriers and shippers, a deep understanding of the market to go that. And they're figuring out the best way to leverage technology and business model advantage, which I think a lot of pressure came from, you know, the new age digital brokerages, a lot of insights and learnings have, you know, came from those companies. But now I'm really excited to see a lot of that has been developed, injected back into the 15,000 plus freight brokers that are out there at the market, you know, which is a big part of what we want to be part of investing in. So I revisited the complexity of the business model, the brokerage business model. And I think the thing that's more obvious now than it ever has been is the dynamic that the, the market dictates your margin. If you think about uh, rates, volume, but also that kind of caps to some degree and, and limits the technology investment you can have if you think about building a durable business. And yes, VC can supplement the type of capital you and I can have can supplement some of that R&D investment one needs to make. But I'd be curious, kind of how do you think about it and parse through such a business model? Yeah. So I think that there's a couple of different sides to this. There's like the macro, which is like the changes in rates. And, you know, I think, you know, there's been a bunch of folks like Craig who have published a lot of information about what's happened on that and like 
certainly we're in the midst of a freight cycle recession that has you know eroded what are already thin margins in a category mm-hmm. like to making it economically unsustainable for a lot of folks out there you know the second piece of this is the micro and like that's the competitive dynamics that are happening within the sector which yeah i think one of the scary things that happened over the last couple of years is when rates were at their peak, at their frothiest, you know, you had people who were still willing to lose money to compete for market share. And the reality is that can work. And that's a very tried and true venture playbook of like, all right, we're, you know, growth at all costs, win market share. And, and there is some merit to the belief that if you are the number one market shareholder, need margin will come. And that's if you have captivity, if you have network effects, if you have all that put together. The reality is, that doesn't work if it's not a winner-take-all market or if it's a market like the freight brokerage ecosystem, which, you know, to my belief, uh, the freight brokerage ecosystem generally experiences a certain degree of diminishing marginal returns. It can get more difficult to grow your business over the long term, the bigger that you get. And that's because you have to hire a bunch of people, you have to go and, you know, your relationships with carriers get a road. There's something to be said to a lot of these dynamics. The reality is, I think, as you think of that coming into place, this is the reason why you can't have a growth at all cost mentality. You need to be of the mindset that you can go and have a healthy business that's always focused on margin because growing to the point of oblivion is only going to mean that you're sacrificing all the margin that you have. And I think that's something that we all lost sight of, which if you look at supply chain in general, outside of the freight brokerage business, it has always been, how do we go with compressed cost structures as much as possible? And I think a lot of the industry lost sight of that. And I think when the whole of the industry is not focused on how do we minimize cost structures as much as possible, you know, that's when we're going to see some of these blowups happen. And I think that's what we got to. We got to a point that cost structures were bloated. Everyone was spending a lot of money, whether it was technology or OPEX. And we can argue you know, as to where the dollars were going in a lot of these places for that. But that made it aggressively hard to compete for everyone everybody's profits went down. And that's what we're dealing with right now. We're dealing with a situation that there are too many brokers in the market, too many brokers willing to lose money. And yeah. you know now that's going to unwind, which it's not just happening purely on the startup side. It's going to be happening across the board. And that's just something that we're all dealing with. Yep. Yep. Well said. With all that in mind, if you were to hatch a freight brokerage today, like what would be a, a straw man approach? Are there certain things you would be kind of hell-bent on assuring in order to contribute to success? Yeah. So one of the things that we've really seen as analogous comp in this industry is, is what's happening in insurance mm-hmm. and what happens in the freight industry. Both very heavily brokered, heavily localized industries. And one of the models that we you know think, and we invest heavily in the insurance market, it's a market that we love. And you know certainly both these places make a lot of money, a lot of blue-collar billionaires and billionaires out there from this industry, which we love. Yeah, it is this company Acresure. And most people don't know Acresure, but it, it, it's a company that over the course of the last 12, 13 years has built itself into a $25 billion company that does you know $5 billion plus in revenue and similar margin structures to what we'd see in the freight brokerage industry. And I think you know what they really were able to figure out in a way that others haven't is being in the entrepreneur's agency. And what they said is, all right, you can not access public markets as a local retail agency, but how can we go and provide technology infrastructure, you know, 
leverage over the market with like economies of scale and purchasing power over larger entities, you know, be able to give you access to our benefit solutions and so forth, but really empower you to be the best version of yourself, but also able to achieve real liquidity. And yeah. what they did is they figure out a structure where you go and be you and you'll have the backing of us, you know, continue to run your business, but you can roll over your equity into our structure. And, you know, a lot of agencies ended up finding this structure extremely attractive of rolling over their equity into a larger whole co that they could be part of a big growing enterprise, not just their own. And, you know, that enabled a lot of people who were early, you know, players in that game to, to have liquidity events in the tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, which is not something that a lot of folks who come from, you know, the standard you know, brokerage industry have ever been able to yeah. access something like that. So, you know, I think Acrisure has been, you know, you know, at one point they were acquiring 120 agencies a year. Yeah. There's lots of, there's about 35, 40,000, you know, insurance brokerages out there in America, a little bit less there on the freight brokerage end, but it is interesting to see if you were able to go and, you know, uh, a lot of people call Acrisure a fleet of a thousand pirate ships. It's a little bit less than a thousand agencies, but imagine that concept in the freight industry that actually, if there was like shared technology infrastructure, shared, you know, sharing of information, you could actually reduce a lot of your reliance on some of the big behemoth systems in this industry, you know, and empower these people to be the best version of their brokerage while also doing so of rolling over their equity to say, all right, like, one day we're going to take this public and I'm going to have, you know, a percentage point of this massive 10, 15, $20 billion company, which would be transformational wealth. And also something that I think would be really exciting and enticing as we go and recruit. Yeah. And there's less of an issue in this industry than there is insurance, but like recruiting really young, talented, smart, ambitious people, you know, to come to this industry. And that's, I think, going to be one of those things that can take us forward. So that's always been a crazy idea like that we've had of like, can we take this model and apply it to this new segment? But it's one that we're certainly interested in. I'm smiling because we actually recently explored a similar type of a business construct, but on the forwarding side, on, on the freight forwarding side, where you can basically platform called these mom and pop freight forwarders, like it, it's a very similar uh, distribution with regards to number, fragmentation, shape and size, deeply held relationships, especially with the customers, but an inability to invest in technology. And so are you able to actually build a really interesting business that has a bit of roll up private equity type features to it? but you do it on the back of a, a platform technology solution. And um, we walked away from it believing that, yeah, there is something that could be done there by a VC. It requires quite a bit of a kind of thought and one needs to be very intentional in doing so. Hey, if you ever want to go through the dynamics of what made no. Acrisure work, like, you know, I, I mean, it, it comes down to, there are some private equity nuances to it, and but... You know, for us, like we love partnering with the folks. Like a lot of people invest in insurance. Like, yeah, I've been mm -hmm. at some of these dinners and like people don't even know what Acrisure is. Meanwhile, like we have a bunch of executives that, you know, have done this playbook before that, you know, have kind of, you know, we love spending time with these folks. And it's the same thing. Like, this is one of the reasons why I love the freight industry. There's so many characters who have, you know, done some amazing things. And like, you know, 
the godfathers of this industry, you know, like I, I really wish someone would write a book about like the Silvers and the Loves and the Jaegers and so forth. And, you know, you know, uh, I'm sure the stories, you know, that, that haven't been told would be pretty interesting in that, but I do think learning from these guys of like the best practices and running some of these brokerages, but also, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of glance across these industries, like Acresure was the first person to do that model in that industry. I think a lot of other people are going to try to do in other industries that like yeah. have good vertical synergies. And I think one interesting part is like most M&A is done from like a cost savings, like per perspective. And, you know, I think really around, you know, lane density and some of the other things that you can get in this industry to really understand what are going to be the most profitable routes, what is the network carriers that you can have. I mean, there's been a couple of really interesting business models, you know, to, to a certain degree, I think like Landstar, when they came out with their business mm-hmm. model was like very interesting. And certainly some folks are, you know, doing that at like to a certain degree, some people will comp us to Landstar in some degree at SmartHop, you know, one of the companies that I'm on the board of. But like the reality is I do think we need to think of new business models that enable entrepreneurs to still be entrepreneurs. And I think this is an incredibly entrepreneurial industry, whether you look at it from the carrier side or the broker side. And fighting that is just wrong because yep. it's always going to say, this is an industry full of cowboys. What lessons should founders heed from the convoy story, right? Like kind of this next generation of cowboys, many who have these large visions, they want to build a, an industry titan. What should they know and remember as they set out on their specific journeys? Well, I think there's really three things that we like take back from this. And like one is making sure that you have folks around the table that are like very deeply in the industry. Like uh, folks, we love the term prepared mind. Like that is at the cornerstone of everything that we do that I think, you know, we partner with a lot of these folks who are bridgers. You know, we say that they're bridging the digital divide, but people are you know, innovative enough to think about what's going to happen in the industry, but incumbent and industry oriented enough to like make sure that we're not just following kind of myopic playbooks, which, you know, I think as all this stuff was going down, if you're speaking to any of the folks that were on our Bridger network, they were very much intensely focused on like, hey, how sustainable is this business model? Like the industry doesn't exactly look that way. I can't see this being a winner take all market. And that's not to say that those people will always be right. But having someone who's pushing and saying like, who really understands the industry and industry dynamics at play and making sure that you have that uh, like stress test at the very onset, Mm -hmm. we saw the same thing happen in insurance where a bunch of carriers went like this, you know, or we've seen the same thing happen in fintech where a bunch of, you know, banks and neobanks went like that. It's going to happen across a bunch of these industries, but making sure it happened in retail and e-commerce with a bunch of people like realizing the economics were not as sustainable as what they would making sure you build a good business uh, and how competitively advantaged it is against existing incumbents. That's something that like really having insider perspective is and anyone who's doing something that's outside of software, I really heavily encourage them bringing that in. Secondly, you know, I, I do think it comes to thinking about what are the core competencies of what you really need to win on in that industry. And again, supply chain is one of these industries that has always won by compressing the cost structure. If you look at Amazon, Walmart, you know, you know, FedEx, any organization that's out there that is dominated from the supply chain perspective, they've done so with ruthless cost, cost reductions, as well as like amazing service to their customers and reliability of their customers. And I would say 
can only those are not things that startups are great at. Like, you know, cost management, certainly not. We're in, none of us are the fat cats that we were back in 2020, you know, but the reality is like we've all lived with like, you know, a little bit more, you know, cushion around in our budgets than anyone who has to live paycheck to paycheck or, you know, which is the way that a lot of these, you know, freight brokers or supply chain organizations have. And then secondly, like we are more willing to let mistakes happen and and this has I think been part of the aversion to you know if this is a critical function is this really fit for a startup at the onset and I think it is such a huge deal to these customers whether a delivery makes it there on time and so forth that the like fake it till you make it like is not really the way to go you know here for a lot of customers so focusing on how can you play a role in the value chain that enables you to really focus on you know, what startups do best. And startups generally aren't the best at cost management, but are we really good at leveraging data to come up with insights? Yeah. Uh, like, are we really great at having, you know, potentially more patience with the business model than others? Yes. You know, are there ways that we can attract really great technical talent, you know, to companies like ours? Yes. So how can you leverage those strengths Rather than trying to compete on a you know a vector that startups aren't naturally you know great at is one of the reasons why like we wouldn't want to go and build a tech enabled warehouse out of the gate like that's probably just not something that we would invest in because most warehouses are really focused on all right you need hundreds of millions of dollars to even get in business you know you need to be ruthless at cost management managing hundreds and hundreds of employees that's Generally not speaking, what a startup does great. Now, could they be the software player or maybe like robotics, you know, selling into these places? Yeah. And I think that's great. So making sure that you're picking a battleground that is a battleground that you can win on and a battleground that enables your strengths is really important. And I think the only way that you can really understand that, whether it's freight or somewhere else, is if you have people around the table who really understand that industry and what it takes to win in that industry. Yeah. So... Before I move here to my last question, is there anything that we should talk about that we haven't? I mean, freight cycle. You know, like what's going to happen to you know all these startups that you know, you know, we've seen this boom and bust play. It just seems like it's a natural thing. If we're going to have two VCs who've been on both ends of the cycle together, you know, I'm interested to get your thought on it too. So, so. We tracked, we, we wrote to our LPs Q1 last year, looking at all the freight data coming through and effectively made the call that there's going to be a lot of macro malice that we see on the consumer side of the economy. And you oftentimes see us talk about freight consumer demand and then industrial demand because they inherently use different modes of transport. They have different end kind of pull effects on a supply chain. Industrial indicators actually were quite healthy up until earlier this year as we heard more backlogs are being worked through. There's actually cancellations, there's preemptive layoffs, so on and so forth. We don't see that reducing any further. In fact, uh, this is a big earnings week for retail and the majority of retailers are actually expecting their demand and their revenues to be down I think Best Buy I saw before I jumped on here, Craig actually tweeted, I think something like a high single digit year over year reduction in consumer yeah. spending. So 
we think that's going to continue to work its way through. We don't think next year is going to be rosy. We think we'll be treading water, but as startups, like in our portfolio, the one thing we have really worked hard with our companies about is becoming capital efficient. That's going to force, to your point, Rick, that you've made, it's going to force you to be a leaner operation and being able to pass through some of that to your customers. But what we've actually seen is all of our companies that are exposed, we have a handful of companies exposed to the underlying freight market, volumes, rates. They're all posting anywhere from, call it, 3 to about 12% annual growth. So we equally say now's the time to go take share, out-compete your competition, and just delight the customer in order to do that. Yeah. I think like we share a similar mindset. We've had companies that are like certainly like pegged to a certain degree in the freight like market. And I don't think we've seen the same fallout in freight brokers that we saw like the cliff fall in freight forwarding. You know, but the reality is I think much like we saw overcapacity in, in the carrier and broker market, we saw overcapacity in in the startup market. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that so much capital is free definitely just made that there's too many startups there. Yeah. You know, on the financing and certainly like some of the numbers that I've heard from companies outside of our portfolio of the negative gross margins that they were willing to like take to to gain share and grow, you know, um, I mean they're scary. And so, you know, especially when you look at the burn rate. And and simply put, a lot of those companies are not gonna survive. Like they if they can't live up to the, the preference stack, you know, it's just a matter of time before folks leave or investors abandon them, which I think it's gonna be a really interesting time, which I hate the word interesting as investor because it really means nothing. But so so I'll attack myself on that. But I think like it's going to be good and bad. And I think there's a survive to thrive mentality that like, you know, knowing the freight cycle was happening, we definitely pulled back on span out a lot of our companies and said, all right, like if we can make it to the other end of the cycle, we'll be in a great spot because like the herd will be a lot thinner and then we should be able to steal market share too. But so I think that is definitely like a survive to thrive mentality is very important. But secondarily to that, I do think that there is a real need for you know hunkering down on core competencies. And I think this is where a lot of, you know, we talked a little bit about how relationships are so important to the freight broker side of this, but I think they're really important from the investor and founder side too, where it's like just yesterday, you know, I was talking to a founder that we had passed on, you know, but like there's a really good opportunity for them to partner with one of our portfolio companies right now where like, Two years ago, we even said, hey, like the sky's the limit. These companies could eventually bump into each other. And meanwhile, now we're like, hey, like we really got to focus in on this. You guys are focusing in on that. Maybe we can actually work together to both cut like our burn and like together we can go acquire customers together. And that's great. And I think this is actually like what we need to be doing more so as like investors and founders is figuring out like how can we consolidate? How can we partner? How can we do deals through relationships, you know, that enable you know, us to have a better winning offering to the customer, which, you know, requires a lot of trust. But I do think that's where, you know, the companies that come out on the other side of this are going to say, I'm really amazing at doing this. Let me continue to do that. And like, I'm willing to forego some of my margin or growth to be able to go and partner with you guys. And I do think the less competition, better. Competition is bad for business. So the more that we can partner together, you get to the other side of what, you know, we're seeing the same data on retail. I think it's going to be a scary quarter. You know, I think that's going to, you know, unless your TJ Maxx is going to be very happy about this, you know, 
is going to put us all in a better position for 25, 20 to 26. And, you know, at the end of the day, these are 10 year journeys, not 10 month. So that's right. That's right. So we'll wrap this all up with a bow and I'd love your take being one of the VC guests on this season. Is freight brokerage inherently a bad fit for VC? I think building a freight broker de novo is probably a bad fit for VC. I think like, you know, we'll see how the Uber freight experiment, like, you know, you know, plays out. But I think like, you know, the reality is I think a lot, I'd rather enable than disrupt. And, and that is, you know, a big mentality that we have is, how can we enable the players in this industry to be the best versions of themselves rather than trying to compete against them? And I do think there's so many nuances to like what makes a great freight broker, whether it's the specific carriers that they work with, specific shippers that they work with, specific mm-hmm. lanes that they work on. I mean, you know, the reality is that is something that like a startup in the scale that it wants to be to a certain degree has to be lowest common denominator. And, you know, I think that is not a great thing for the industry. Whereas there's so much that can be done in terms of enabling better working capital solutions, better technology solutions, better operating solutions, better data, you know, for these freight brokers who, you know, many of which like, you know, just the adoption rate of a broker side TMS over the last couple of years has been, has phenomenally increased. That is a huge leap forward that if you look at the adoption levels of TMS, you know, today versus where they were like five, six years ago, you know, they're notably different. And if we look at what's happened on the working capital side, you know, of like the, you know, predominance of QuickPay and how successful that was for, you know, initially folks like command, but now like very commonplace at all the digital freight brokerages and all yep. the, you know, larger freight brokerages like Echo, you know, using with the preferred carriers. I mean, that's going to be something that, you know, there's 14,500 carriers or brokers that don't have the right balance sheet to enable that. So we see that as a tremendous opportunity. And this is a big enough market in terms of the dollars flowing through it, that there are a lot of ways to make money that don't necessarily need to be like the one that first pops in your head. Mm -hmm. All right. Like these people are not using technology. So how can I destroy them? No, instead let's find ways to help them with payroll. Let's find ways to help. Which like commission structures in this industry are completely like very arcane, very difficult, like very different. I mean, there's still very few verticalized CRM technologies. Like if any, like Linetics and a couple of the folks went after this a couple of years ago. This is a huge market that it, it warrants a bunch of different vertical software solutions. I'm hopeful that we're investors in a couple of them that really take off because I do feel that there are public companies just in vertical software enabling these brokers. And that I think is probably the best place to be playing where we can really focus on where there's digital leverage, not just being digital. Yeah. Well, you've made friends with our entire audience of freight brokers who I think will be extremely thrilled to adopt new tools and try new things out as they build their businesses. Man, I'm happy to be friends with freight brokers are really fun people. You know, like, (laughs) you know, like whenever they want to go out for a beer, let me know. Like, because (laughs) they definitely generally know how to have a few. So, uh, yes, uh, yes. They're great people to hang out with and great people to know. So they value relationships so much. And I think that's not unlike our industry that like I was talking to one earlier today and I said, Hey, like, this is the fun part of this is that because you guys understand how important the people side of this business is. And eventually we talk about people all the day, but like, you know, it's those folks are who live and die based on their relationships. And that's the reason why you have the guys who have sold companies in this space. Like they just do it 
over and over again. They're like, because yep. the relationships will always travel with them. And, you know, I think that's what makes it really great to work with freight brokers. So, you know, always down to hang with you guys if you ever want, want to get a hang in. So. Awesome. Well, with that, very much appreciate you sharing your perspective, insights here on the topic. And I hope we can find something unique to work together on as we oh, look to I'm looking forward market. to that. So, you know, yeah, between Tennessee and Chicago, which apparently everyone, you know, thinks that I still live in, you know, you know, there's a lot of ground to cover. So, but thanks Indeed. for having me and, you know, thanks for everything that you guys do for the supply chain ecosystem. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.